Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the event horizon of the teaching world, Christopher Polson. <laughs> hey, I, I, you forewarned me, because if I'm the event horizon, well, of course, you're the Big Bang. <laughs> <laughs> no, my friend, you are the mystery that holds the universe together. Oh, I wish. Sure. I wish. How are we doing today, Chris? Well, you know, Vito, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's been an interesting uh, 24 hours. We went from, hey, everything's kind of okay, to state of emergency again. So that's, that's something interesting that we're, we're progressing forward through in the schools again and hoping for the best <laughs> for. Um, uh, but, uh, but aside from that, you know what, doing great. The students are, the students are pumped in their, in their classes. Um, I have, I have just a, a wonderful group of young people who are really, really, really flexing those, those minds and those questions that they're asking. I'm really excited about it. How are you doing Vito? That's what we want to know. Uh, no, 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 no one really wants to hear from me. Uh, but I, I, I will say this. I want to cheer you up tonight. I want to cheer you up. Cheer and me I, up. I think... I think I know what we can do. We have someone on the show. Oh. <laughs> we have someone on the show tonight, Chris. I, I don't even know where to start. My, my department head in science at my school has been bugging me to finish my physics qualification so I can teach in his department. I'm literally two courses away, and I've been holding it off. And this guy right here might be the one to push me over the edge to get me, uh, to get me in there. Uh, we have someone tonight. Are you ready to hear about this guy? Like, <laughs> Vito, I've been excited for weeks about this. All right, let, let, let's let's let our audience know why you and I have been so pumped. This is a, a a person who's been teaching for 42 years in the classroom, mostly high school, physics, astronomy, chemistry, and at the university level, astronomy and STEM education. And what makes him amazing is at the beginning of his career, he wanted to teach astronomy, but there was no curriculum. So what did he do? He wrote the curriculum for it and wrote the textbook. He created the labs, the activities, everything for years. And uh, now many states are adding astronomy and space science to their state standards. Yes. All attributed to this person. And wow. And when he went up to the university, he had a mission to accomplish uh, two things. The way that everyone teaches science forever. And we've had a few science teachers on the show and like... This is, uh, I'm so excited to hear what he has to say and make astronomy the fourth core of science, along with physics, chemistry, and biology. Let me tell you, they laughed at him then. No one is laughing now. He has a published author. He's released many books, uh, Astronomy for Educators, which you can check on our website, which is there for free. He's ha he has a book coming out in the spring of next year called Star Mentor. He runs low-cost uh, science, which is lab activities for less than a dollar per child to improve access to STEM education everywhere and ESL or ELL accessible science. He's also writes science fiction because the, when you're remarkable, this is what you do. And I am so stoked to bring him on the show. Welcome, Dr. Daniel Barth. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, fellas, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate being here. I, I don't know. I, it, so there's no video on this show, but in case for our listeners, Chris and I have been jumping up and down in our seats for the past 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. we have. So we're really excited to, to speak with you. And uh, so let's get started. Tell us, tell us your story. Um, what got you into education and led you onto the path where you are today? 
I, I think I'm the only person I know who went into teaching for the money. Um, and it's, it's an odd story. I started out as in research science and uh, I did work for the Navy. I did work for the US government. I did work in immunology back before it was cool. Uh, molecular biology and uh, uh, I actually, I when I was young and married, uh, my ex and I both were trying for graduate school and we decided we would apply in the Los Angeles area in Chicago. I got a scholarship and a fellowship at the University of Chicago for molecular genetics and she got a scholarship in Los Angeles at Claremont for religious for religion, she was a theologian, and so we went out to California with the idea that she would get her degree, then I would finish mine. And I was working at Caltech. I was a research staff member. I was not. Uh, I was a. I was a research staff. I was a very low level science test tube jockey. Uh, my lab group, the people, the brilliant people there would dream up all the experiments. I was the guy who scraped all the test tubes and performed all the experiments and gathered data. And Caltech, it was a, it was a, such an energizing place to work. Um, they invited me, my boss invited me to apply to get my master's there. And uh, then my ex lost her scholarship. And so I found out that because California had a teaching shortage, I could go start teaching right away because I had my bachelor's degree. And uh, it would be a 50% raise. That meant going from 14,000 a year to 20,000 a year. And so I jumped on it and uh, it was a very hard thing to swallow. Uh, and I went in thinking I'm going to teach science like a scientist instead of like the some of the really terrible science teachers and math teachers that I'd had. And I went in and uh, one of the first things I said is I want to teach astronomy. And they said, you can't do that. And to me saying you can't is just the red flag. There are seven brothers in my family. I'm the second from the bottom and was the runt of the litter. So, well, Danny can't do it. He's too weak, he's too little. That was just, just watch me, hold my beer. Um, and so I said, yes, of course I can. And they said, I love well, it. No one's ever done it before. I said, well, then it's about time somebody does. Uh, there's no book. I'll write one. Well, you can't do that. Well, there's no curriculum. I'll create it. All the labs, every, there's nothing. I said, I, I can do this. And my boss, God bless him, said, start an astronomy club. If it's still running in a year, we'll talk. And the club became popular and the class took off. And uh, I was in, a, in an academy type, it was a public high school, but it was a public high school where the wealthy and the rich and the famous uh, sent their children. So we had, we had people from the entertainment industry, from professional sports and uh, powerful industrial people whose kids were at our school. And being, uh, having grown up poor and with many brothers and sisters, I, did, I wasn't happy there. And I moved, I left from uh, that school to Corona, California, which is more blue collar. I loved it. I got the astronomy program revved up there, uh, as well as the physics program. And uh, eventually I kind of had the call and the opportunity to leave Corona and go farther out into the desert. We're talking migrating 
away from LA, farther into the desert. And uh, I ended up in Hemet, which is uh, a high poverty community, lots of uh, immigrant students, uh, 65-70% ESL population in any classroom depending. A lot of, a lot of variety of languages. And I went in and once again, I said, I want to start an astronomy program. I want to start AP. And I did it. And uh, I was in Hemet uh, for quite a number of years. I was also teaching at Mount San Jacinto College. I taught in San Jacinto and uh, ran their astronomy program and taught physics occasionally in the summer. It was, it was lovely. It was brilliant. Teaching astronomy out in the desert was amazing. Uh, but it was really stressful, uh, 250 to 280 students a day, you know, averaging about six classes a day, plus evening classes for college astronomy, and uh, it was just too much, it was beating up my health. Uh, and I had the opportunity, my wife and I were planning on, I said 28 years, get your 30 ticket, retire, go to Arkansas, and at 28 years, um, it was affecting my health and it was terrible. And I came home and typed in college jobs, Arkansas. And uh, I applied for five. Um, four never replied to the one I never thought I'd get, which is the University of Arkansas, uh, assistant professor of STEM education. And they hired me. And uh, like I said, when I, when I got there, they said, well, you've been just a high school teacher. So this is a responsible jump to college professor. What do you want to do? And as you mentioned at the beginning, I said, I want to change the way everyone teaches science forever. And second, uh, I want to make astronomy the fourth core. And there were people's hands were over their mouth and little tittering laughter and eye rolls. And uh, within two years, we had the Astronomy for Educators program. I wrote the book. Uh, I went to the State Department of Ed. I helped them create Astronomy. I wrote the astronomy standards. I gave, created an astronomy class, which was a state standard class for them. Uh, the last couple of years, I've been working with NGSS, Next Generation Science Standards, to write the standards for astronomy and space science. And uh, these things are being adopted nationwide. And uh, I have great hopes that this Astronomy for Educators program will continue. I had an author, I had an offer from a uh, textbook company who shall remain nameless, who wanted to pick up astronomy for educators, make it a full-on college text. And I said, sure, that sounds great. And then they started saying how they wanted a textbook and then an activity book. And I said, no, no, my class is 65 to 70% activities. Literally in a twice a week class for a semester, 30, 32 meetings, I give like six lectures. Everything else is hands-on. And uh, I try to tell my students, you must not teach the way you were taught. You must not. Uh, this idea of here's a bunch of, here's a list of words and we'll explain with more words. And there, and maybe now we'll do a video and a worksheet and read some uh, paragraphs out of a book and answer some questions. And maybe eventually we'll do a little canned laboratory, which is absolutely Betty Crocker tab A, slot B, write your answer in the little box. And I, I rail against this. This is terrible. I tell my students, we go ahead, we explore, we discover. Um, we challenge ideas. I ask them, how do you know? Um, one of the most fun things I do, and I try to do this at the start of the year, 
And I say, okay, uh, and I have a little globe of the moon, and I say, what shape is the moon? And they look at me like I'm a little bit nuts. And I said, no, no, just go with this. What shape is the moon? Round. Okay, round like a coin or round like a ball? And somebody will say, it's, it's a ball, it's a sphere. Okay, how do you know? And this is the clock stopper question, right? You're familiar with the old uh, UXB people who would disarm the bombs that fell across uh, Europe and they would put the clock stopper on it, the giant magnet that would lock everything in place and stop the clock? Well, this is my clock stopper question. It's my giant magnet for your head that stops the thinking process. And the kids will say, well, what do you mean, how do you know? Well, how do you know it's round? I don't believe you, convince me. Uh, and they can't because they've been told and they've believed and they've learned to repeat, but they don't know. They don't own the knowledge. They've been taught to repeat. And so we do this lovely experiment. We take a, a bit of seatbelt webbing and we glue some quarters to it, poker chips work, and then we wrap it around a soccer ball or a basketball. Okay, look at the quarters, what shape are they? Well, they're all round. Do they all look round? As you get around the curve of the ball, they start to look more elliptical. One of my fourth grade teachers said, oh, they're more ovally now. I love that, I use that term officially now, it's more ovally. So the ellipses ovally. get thinner. Ovally, I love that, that's it. And I said, well, if this is true, we should be able to look at the moon and we should see that craters in the center are round and as we move to the edge, they become more elliptical. And I said, would it matter if I turned it so the strap runs diagonally or vertically or horizontally? No, it's always because it's wrapping around. So, okay, so we go ahead, then we go out with a telescope, and you can use any, the telescope you have in the background there, Chris, would be perfect for this. You get a 60, 7,500 power view of the moon, and you can see the craters are round, and right now is a great time. It's a little past first quarter moon, so it's about half lit. Look along the terminator, the line between light and dark in the center. The craters are round. And as you move toward the limb of the moon, towards the north and south pole, they become, in fact, more elliptical because you're seeing them around the curve of the planet. And so now students can discover the moon is round. Now they own it. I, I, I Everything you're saying I love because I'm picking up on two really big things about just your personal trajectory. You know, if no one's ever done it before and you're passionate, it's up to it's up to you to do it, and I love that. And then you said Absolutely. something that's that's just huge right now. That idea of explore, discover, challenge. It's not a worksheet. It's it's hands on. It's get in there. It's know the learning because you're getting the evidence of what you're learning. And that's just I think as educators, that's such a powerful gift that we can give to students of all level. Whether it's educators learning about STEM or whether it's STEM educators teaching kids at any grade. And I just love what you're saying with that. And also, you know, one thing I've come to change over the years is never judge your class based on the answer student students give, but the questions they ask. It's harder now to get students to answer questions. Um, Standards-based education puts a huge premium on being right, and it makes being wrong almost a sin. And students are very afraid to raise their hand. I, sometimes I ask a question, I say, well, is it this, is it that? I get no hands. They said, who would raise their hand for a Snicker bar wrapped in a dollar bill? And I get Snickers and chuckles, but nobody raises their hand for a candy bar wrapped in a dollar bill. I'm like, come on, really? And I've actually, I take this to class and I've got a snicker bar with a dollar bill stapled to it. And I'm like, come on. And uh, 
we did a we did a thing I was showing you just before. We made we made models. Have you guys ever seen these these uh, these models, these uh, solar system models with the little ball of sun in the middle and the planets on wires and they stick out? And you can rotate them around. It's called an orrery. Yep. Absolutely. But they cost hundreds of dollars. If they're motorized, they're thousands of dollars. They're so expensive, you would never, if you could even afford one, allow a student to touch it. Don't touch that. That's expensive. I couldn't render you down for fat and get enough money to replace that. Stop it. Keep your mitts off. And we make these, we make these models. We make these models, and I showed you. I'll send you guys pictures of these. We make these models, and these are this is an activity I designed. And we take ping pong balls, and we paint half of them black, and then we take the other half and we decorate them with, with permanent markers and we make uh, worlds and moons. And my students uh, were struggling to figure out how lunar phases work. And so we took them, we made little models of the lunar phases with salt dough. And these are, we're training these teachers to do this. And I say, well, what's the problem with this flat salt dough model? We made a calendar. Make, this, make the phases, then put the, the days that you'll see the phases for a couple months coming. You have the spiral calendar, it's very beautiful. And they said, well, nothing. I said, sure there is. You know what happens next, but you don't know how it works. And so our next adventure, we made the ping pong ball models. Unlike our multi-hundred dollar orrery, uh, you can make an Earth, Moon, Sun model set for about 75 cents. About a buck Canadian, right? So because ping pong balls cost a quarter, and that's if you're buying them in small boxes at a department store. If you go to Amazon or in a big online retailer and you buy a big old box of ping pong balls, they're about they're about 10 cents a piece. They're cheap. And you make your own models. If a kid steps on him, you give him steps on his, you give him another ping pong ball. Make another one. You've crushed the earth, Billy. Make a new one. Uh, be divine. Make a new planet. And these don't have these the ones I showed you are my little artworks. They're very nice, but they don't have to look like anything because it's, it's, the sun is a single candle. Half the planet is always in daylight, half of it's in darkness. And we set these up and we rotate, we have them rotate the moon around and they get down on the table and they look and surprise, this whole diagram of lunar phases just falls out of the model like a prize coming out of an Easter egg. And it just falls out and they go, oh, that's how it works. And surprise, they're now, now they own the moon. And I said, you realize now, it doesn't matter how you decorate this because it works with every planet, every moon, everywhere, every galaxy for all time, worlds without end, amen, right? You now own it. You now know the way the cosmos works with a star as a single candle and a planet and a satellite and they all go through phases the same way because a sun lights up half a planet and half a moon at the same time, no more than half ever. And my student said, well, never ever so I said, I have an experiment for you when you get home. You need, a cannon, you need a tennis ball and a candle. And lock yourself in a dark closet, light the candle, and see if you can illuminate more than half the tennis ball, no matter how you hold the candle. The thing I picked up on, you're saying own the moon, because this is something, like, costs no money at all, and they take no. it home. And, and it <clears> is do. theirs. They own the moon. So then, and it's starting conversations with their families. It's starting, hey, come check this out, you know? And it's making a, it, it's it's something, it's taking the classroom and it's just exploding it out everywhere because like who isn't, what, what, what student isn't going to want to show that off? Exactly. When teachers have to have the back to school event, when the parents come and see what the kids are doing, I said, you set this out and you let your students explain to the parents coming in 
how the, how the lunar phases work. You stand back, you shut your mouth, and look like a genius. You don't have to say a word because your kids are brilliant. They're functional. They're using all this vocabulary. Uh, and uh, my students were working through the vocabulary. And I, I told them after we got done with this today, I said, who is certain that you know more about the moon now than you can fluently express either in speech or in writing? And every student raised their hand. These are university students now pre-service teachers. They all raised their hand. They said, I know stuff, but I don't know how to tell you. I said, okay, good. Every child in your classroom forever, your whole career will be like this. They will be smarter than they can express. Your job is to give them an experience first and then give them vocabulary afterwards to help them express what they know. When they can express what they know, they will feel brilliant, confident, competent. They, you will not be giving them self-esteem with a trophy they will be earning the pride of accomplishment, which will last. Um, and I got an email this morning. Came to work, usually get to work about 6.30, do some writing, check my email, got an email. Hi, Dr. Barth, you don't remember me, I'm sure. My name is Ryan. I was in your class in 2008, <clears throat> back at uh, Mount San Jacinto. And um, you loaned me a telescope one weekend. I kind of talked you into it, but then you said, okay, and you gave me this telescope to take home. And uh, I want you to know that I'm still an amateur astronomer. I live outside of Phoenix. I have a telescope. Um, and I'm going back to finish my degree now. And uh, I want to get credit for your class. They said, I need a syllabus. Can you provide me with one? I said, sure. I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled. 14 years later, this, this guy, he's a cop now. Uh, he's a canine officer. I saw that on his email signature. And he's an astronomer because I loaned him, because I trusted him with 500 bucks worth of equipment. And I said, here, take it home. Please don't break it because you can't pay for it. I'm going to have to. So he said, yeah, okay, I'll take good care of it. And he did. <laughs> and uh, I showed that to my students today. And I said, good teaching leaves a mark. Like Harry Potter's mom kissing him on the forehead. Oh, oh! Good teaching leaves That's a mark. That's a huge vibe. Good, um, yeah, huge vibe right there. Wow. We've all been marked by bad teachers, have and, we not? And, I, and we've been marked by good yeah, teachers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And as teachers, you're never going to know a tiny fraction of the good you do. The kid came back and handed me my telescope back, and I'm sure he said, "Hey, thanks," and walked away. But he didn't say, "Wow, this changed my life." Uh, obviously it did. Obviously it did. Good teaching leaves a mark. Uh, you know how 14 somebody later falls it comes off a bike. Back. And, That's a changed life. There you go. It is. And uh, it was much the same with me. I was 10. Uh, my best pal, his dad was the Episcopalian priest in town. Little tiny village, couple thousand people. Uh, and he had a telescope in his office that I thought was just the near cousin to Palomar. I thought it was enormous. And I, I was bugging him, Father, can we take it out? Father, can, can you take out the telescope? Please, 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 please. You know, I w I'm hyperactive as an adult. I was no better as a 10-year-old. Uh, and so finally, after weeks of, of <laughs> pestering, and uh, he finally called up the parish parents and said, I'm taking out the telescope into, out on the lawn in front of the church, and uh, y'all come down, you know. And so bunch of the kids and stuff came down and he showed us the moon and various things and after half an hour or so it was him and me because the rest of them got bored and I was still excited and 
about an hour in. They said, what's that yellow one up there? And he said, well, you know how to move it now. Go ahead and point it and see. And it was Saturn. It was Saturn, and it was glorious, and it had rings. And uh, the hook was set. It was like I was like a trout in a brook, and the hook had been set. And it changed my life entire. And uh, I'm, I'm dedicating uh, my book, Star Mentor, to him, Father Theodore A. Bissett. He's passed away now. Uh, and I put in the dedication. I asked for the moon. He gave me the stars. Dinike Cuelo. And if you know your Latin, heaven at last. So was that your drive for why you've been pushing for astronomy to be the fourth core? Was it this experience well, yeah. you had? Like, you, you, like this has been your mission. I was, I was uh, 11 when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. So I grew up during the Gemini Apollo era. And uh, I remember watching all these things on TV and I was a complete space nut from a very young age. And uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. I, I didn't have the health to, to do anything like that. I was asthmatic as a kid. Well, and, and I found astronomy and uh, I wanted to be a scientist and I did accomplish that goal. It didn't last, but I did get there. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to do, I wanted to be an astronaut. Astronomy was the next best thing. I could still explore space. Um, and when I started teaching astronomy, I'd never had a formal astronomy class. It's completely self-taught. And so I would ask my kids, well, what do we want to learn this week? Let's see what's up in the sky. And it became a very much a student-driven class. The little kids who wanted to play Pokemon, got to catch every point, right? Got to catch them all. Got to have the A+. Those kids hated it. What's the syllabus? How do we earn an A+. I'm like, what A+. The heck with that. Come on, let's go. Let's take the telescope out. Let's see what's fun tonight. And the other kids were like, you mean we can tell you we want to see Saturn and then we can? I'm like, if it's in the sky, yes, we can. Well, how do we draw that? Let's figure it out. Are those moons? Let's find out. Uh, and it, it was very much a let's go exploring. And since there were no state standards and no textbook and no set curriculum, I could do what the hell I wanted. It was a grand and glorious adventure. It was amazing. And wow. uh, I was wow. frequently saying, you know, the textbook is boring. Let's do something more fun. And I, I think that's just a sentiment that explodes through everything. Um, and I have to tell you, too, it's, it's funny you should say that because um, when I first saw Saturn, that was it. When I saw it, when I was looking through the lens, and there it was, and there was the ring, that was it. Yes. But, uh, you know... I love this, you know, why, I mean, yeah, we love books on this podcast. We, we've written them. We love them. Uh, but then there's that world to discover. And that's no matter there what discipline you're teaching, whether it's astronomy or literature or whatever, Indeed. there's that world. And, and exactly how you said it, explore, discover, challenge, like, yes. Yeah. My greatest frustration teaching astronomy, taking a student out. Here's this lovely $1,000 telescope, and we're looking in clear night. Here's the moon. And the kid comes up to the eyepiece. Yeah, it's the moon. I've seen it. Because we're bombarded by images. 
<laughs> studies say 10, 15,000 images a day if you're under 25. And so I had to find a way to make the moon new again. And so what I did, I'm hoping you can see this. Yeah. This is, yep. a, this is a clay model of the lunar landscape. So we start out with a piece of clay, we flatten it out, we take a marble and we roll it out and we make a big, uh, this is about a 15 centimeter uh, square. And we take a marble and we roll out about a six or eight centimeter divot, right? We just press down and roll it. And then we fill that with some darker clay. That's our Maria. That's, uh, that's where an asteroid has struck and the crater, is, the moon's crust has been punctured and it's filled with lava. And we make smaller craters and uh, I don't know if you can see, yeah, you see here, we make ejecta and we, we scar the, the blast zone around the crater and we do that with a nail, right, or a golf tee. And we make little mountains and different things. And the, the great fun thing is you can take your cell phone and you can put it on a flashlight. And I'm gonna see if I can hold this up and do this for you. And you can go ahead and lower this and you can see the shadows oh, change. Oh, wow. Okay. What? And you can see the shadows change. What? And the kids take videos of yeah. this. And, oh, that sunrise and that sunset. And then we go ahead and we say, okay, now we've learned about craters, about ejecta, about uh, ejecta blankets, about mountains, about rills, about lava flows. And now we go look at the moon. Oh, I see a crater. I see a central mount. Look, it's throwing a shadow. Oh, I can see where stuff has been blasted out. Is this where the landslide happened? Oh my gosh, I, lava flows. I can see the ripples. And the kids get all rubbed up because they've created it. We take a, uh, a pizza cutter and we run across lines of latitude, longitude. And then we can make a map of this on paper, right? So we can make a map of this on paper. I don't have one of my maps handy, but we make maps of this on, on paper. And then we can go ahead, we can use Pythagorean theorem to find distances. We can do areas and perimeters. One of the most fun things I do is, and I do this with sixth graders, okay? I say, okay, how far around the, uh, the Maria is it? It's in a regular shape. And the kids go, well, I don't know. Well, how would you measure it? Well, let's try with a ruler. Oh, this kind of sucks because it's a curved edge and it's a straight ruler. I go, I know, let's, let's try with pins. And so we take pins and I say, oh, okay, let's take three pins and put them in different places and we'll wrap a string around and measure the string. And they go, yeah, okay, but that's, that's kind of terrible, Doc, because um, the only three pins and we've got this weird shape in the, where our string is now a triangle. I go, okay, well, what would make it better? Let's try more pins. How many do you want? Five, six, and we keep measuring it. And of course, as we get more and more pins, we get closer. What we're discovering is the calculus of limits. As the limit between oh. the pins goes to zero, the perimeter becomes more accurate. And I say, let's, let's go ahead, more pins and measure it. And wow, you know what? The values converge. And so I'm teaching sixth graders calculus. You can't do that. Shut up, watch me. Yes, we can. Yeah, so, there standing it is. ovation. There is a standing ovation right now <laughs> from anyone listening to this. Like this is like Dr. Daniel Dr. Daniel Barth, you can't do that. Watch me. Trademark. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. Wow. I was the scrawniest brother. Danny can't do that. And uh, you know, when you have seven brothers around <laughs> the house. And there were five sisters too, so there was there wow. was a crowd. 
Um, and I was I was on the very young end. I was third from the bottom, so they weren't all even home when I was growing up. But uh, you know, it's it's just the ornery, persistent. Yes, of course I can. Um, and uh, my dad, God bless him. There's there's no challenge. There's no challenge too big. You know, if if the fight's too tough, grab a rock. You do not never surrender, never die. And uh, I would argue with my brothers a lot. Of course I did. Can you, you know, are you surprised? You shouldn't be. And uh, my dad would come up and goes, well, you convinced your brother yet? I said, no. Why? Because he's dumb. And you're still arguing because? <laughs> and he would say, you know what you know? Son? You know something for sure when you see somebody arguing with an idiot. And then he would pause. There's two of them. <laughs> what I... Uh, what I just love about the demonstration you gave too is it, it's right in that low cost methodology too. Like, oh, absolutely. It, golf tees, pins, strings. I, I yes. love that. Like, you know, w regardless of the funding level, like that's something that's doable. And that's something that's that a kid, again, a student can come home and say, check out what I did. Pop, pop, pop. And then, and I just love this idea of getting the conversation going about what kids are learning on multiple different levels. And when you, mm -hmm. when you break down that cost barrier, that that just a floodgate opens of just yes, opportunities absolutely. and knowledge because you know you're absolutely. going to have a student who's going to maybe accidentally do something or do something on purpose come to you and say hey hey sir what happens if this happens all and the it's time. like well let me tell you all the time <laughs> all the time uh, there's a there's a concept in astronomy called uh, gravitational locking or tidal locking the moon only shows us one face, right? So here's my moon with the red dot. That's the side we see all the time. And you look at the moon, you always see the near side. You never see the far side unless you fly there. And so students say, well, uh, how, how, do you, how do you explain this? And I've had physicists tell me, well, you, you can't teach that until you have advanced university students with upper division calculus. Blah, 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 blah. I say, well, yes, we can. Shut up. Just watch me. Here we go. So we took a, this is a leather covered rubber T-ball, right? It's one of these, it's a, it's a $2.50 practice baseball. And we took, I took an X-Acto knife and I cut a hole into the back of it and I put a lead fishing sinker in and then filled it with hot glue. And okay, now this tennis ball is lopsided. If you roll it, it always lands heavy side down. So we go ahead and we roll it across, and it always lands heavy side down, red dot up. Kids, why does it do that? And they say, it's no mystery, Doc. You doctored it. It's got an off-center weight. They said, well, okay, think about the moon. It's forming in the Earth's orbit. It's in this giant gravity well. Gravity pulls its core closer to Earth. The moon is lopsided. It bulges toward the Earth because it hangs there, Roche effect, and it always orbits heavy side down. Where's down for the moon? The nearest gravity well is the Earth. And so the heavy side of the moon always faces us. And, oh, gravitational locking. You want to learn the Roche effect? How, you know, big planets like Saturn tear little moons apart? We make strings of clay. We wrap them around a soup can and we unroll it over a, uh, a stairwell until we get so much clay string that it breaks from its own weight. Why did it break? Because the string couldn't hold its own weight. It was too heavy. Oh, what do you think happens when you have a moon? Near side, far side. 
inverse square effect, the moon gets stretched until it can no longer hold together. And the gravitational differential tug between near side and far side rips it apart. And you do the calculation for Saturn, the Roche limit, the innermost place a moon can be, is right at the outer edge of the rings. And so the math and the observation work perfectly. So, and now you own it. Now you own Saturn. I'm hearing the, the amazing things you're doing in your classroom. And you're like, like I, I, any student would love to be there. But your, your mission is to spread this across the U.S. and Canada around and the world, the world at, at this point. Um, around the world. Um, do you have any take on how it's being received in classrooms where your methodology is put into practice or where your standards are put into place? Um, uh, like, have you received any feedback about how other teachers I, are doing with uh, I with have, methodology? I get lots of, I get, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's like anything else. If you're handing out Oreos to children, how many Oreos will you hand out before someone says, wow, thank you. This is the best. I really love these. Um, you know, once in a while, but you get good feedback right now. Uh, we are at about, well, back up a bit. Last October, um, the Astronomy for Educators book had been out for about 10 months. Uh, I'd written it before that, but it got an award. It got the Global Campus Award, Best STEM Text. And the university basically bought it for a few thousand bucks. And they said, we're going to put it up as an open ed resource text. Anyone can have it. Between January and October, I had about 60 downloads, right? And most of those were my students. And uh, somebody asked a question on social media, and I said, here, you should, you should try this book. And uh, it kind of went nuts. And so from last October to now, so about 10, 11 months now, and uh, we're now at about 6,200 educators in more than 50 countries using astronomy for educators serving wow. about half a million students wow. uh somewhere between i would say around half a million students give or take uh and i get that's amazing i get really nice comments um this is great thank you uh i send people out curriculum all the time every once in a while somebody says a nice thing uh, but the fact that people are still downloading it and telling their friends, and I see on social media, oh, have you tried this yet? Uh, this is great. And uh, I turned down the publisher that wanted to make it ordinary. Young teachers will learn to teach science by doing science. Surprise, rebellion, you know, heresy, blasphemy. And um, they kept arguing, and I just said no. The thing that I just think is absolutely amazing Half a million students are being served. Half a million students year. are being inspired. Half a million, half a million so. students are owning the moon, are owning Saturn, are hopefully owning Jupiter. Uh, you know, and learning calculus and learning. Yeah, well, it's just and and how amazing is that? This 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 wave of explore, discover, challenge, and I love that because that's what it's all about. It's not about Clicking the right box, circling the right no, letter. It's not. We're doing stuff. You've got to do. Certainly, I think most of the teachers are downloading this and they're saying, oh, I have to cover the moon. I have to cover gravity and inertia. And they're looking in the book and they're saying, ooh, ooh, here's a project I can do. And it won't cost me very much. Um, there's 36 projects in that book. 
Uh, Star Mentor has 50 activities in it. And um, the Astronomy for Educators, there's not a single activity in there that costs more than a buck a child. And most of them are things like this clay moon landscape where most schools have clay. And you can, yep. you can find a pizza cutter or yep. you can use a ruler to make the latitude longitude lines. And it doesn't matter. I'm, the model we have here for our listeners is gray and white. Uh, the background area is sort of a light uh, white color. And then the, the darker Maria are in gray clay. But I've had kids do it in blue and fluorescent green. It doesn't matter as long as they're contrasting colors. Um, uh, find me an administrator who, when you come and you say, hey, I need $30 and they've just had someone ask for 750 find me an administrator who's not going to be happy about that one oh precisely you can i was yeah, telling my students today i said for this uh for this ping pong planet activity i said you can get parents to buy you a box of 50 ping pong balls you can have kids this is a this is a cap from a gatorade bottle this one's a poker chip this one's a poker chip because it has a place for a magnet to be glued on at the bottom you can stick it up on a whiteboard right but I said, for the kids to make it, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Gatorade cap, free. Ping pong ball, uh, 25 cents. How much, you know, the paint, one cheap can of flat black paint for $1.52 bucks will, will do three or four class sets of these. And markers, every kid has markers. If they want to do it in pencil, then cover it with some, with some hairspray or clear lacquer so the pencil doesn't smear uh, a kid will say, I don't, I don't have artistic talent. And it's okay. Um, sometimes the planets, uh, sometimes the planets uh, look like this, and they're just uh, a mishmash of colors. doesn't matter. Half of it's dark, half of it's light. Um, I only have orange. Good, you're doing Mars. It's great. It's all desert. Not a problem. I colored mine all blue. Water world. Good for you. Uh, and younger kids, you can say, okay, name your planet. Name your planet. Name the continents. Tell us what kind of people and creatures live there. Uh, you know, uh, and they can they can let their imagination run wild, because they own it and it's theirs. And it's so cheap. This is this Earth and Moon are fifty cents. Take them home, kids. Keep them. Play with them. And many of them will end up in the trash. But more than you think will be something. I still have these. I got an email last spring student a young a woman she's in her 40s now she said i'm hoping you're the right mr barth who taught chemistry and physics in corona california back in the 90s the early 90s and i said yes that's me and she said i had to look you up i had to say thank you she sent me a picture it's this index card they had a project back in the day called they think i am it was a psychology class project. It's supposed to give an index card to a teacher, employer, sibling, older relative. And they write on there on one side, uh, my teacher thinks I am, my aunt thinks I am, my grandma thinks I am. And so I wrote on there and I said, you know, uh, I know Mira and uh, she has a lot of problems with her friends because she's smarter than many of them. And she doesn't like to accept the stupid ideas of, I've always done it this way, or because I said so. And this gets her in trouble. But she knows her own mind, and she'll, uh, she'll find her way. And it wasn't all complimentary. It was kind of a very blunt sort of a thing. 
And she sent me a picture of this index card, and it's full of staple marks and thumbtack holes and tape marks. She said, I wanted you to know I've kept this for 24 years. It's never been put away. Wow. It's been taped to mirrors. It's been stapled to my wall in crappy apartments. It's been on my fridge with magnets. And she said, I read it every day. She said, because as a young Mexican girl, I got this thing, and it was a revelation that someone who didn't grow up like I did, who didn't look like I did, who didn't speak the language I did at home, still saw me, understood me as a person, as a young woman, and it gave me hope that others could see me and I could see them too. And I've kept this and I've reread it every single day for 24 years. And I'm reading this email, I'm literally sobbing, and my wife is like, oh my God, did someone die? I'm like, no, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm like a teenager at a rom-com movie. I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God. And <laughs> teaching leaves a mark. And she never said thank you. And she said, I just had to find you. And after 24 years of reading this card almost every single day, I just had to find you and say thank you because I never said thank you back then. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. You know. Wow. Um, wow. As a teacher, shows good you teaching will leaves a never mark. know the smallest just... fraction of good that you do. And some of it will come back to you, yeah, but it's a profession that requires a great deal of faith. You have to believe that you're doing good, that you're leaving a mark, that you're, you're making lives better. Uh, I can remember at an astronomy class, first week of school, parent meeting, because kids have to come out at night and we want parents to come to surprise when there's a lot of kids in the dark and there's more parents, better behavior, surprise. So I have this great big man come up to me, lumberjack type, great big beard. Hello, Mr. Barth, do you remember me? I'm like, no, I was your student back in 1994. And I'm like, okay. And he said, do you remember when biology class and you asked the girls to get the box of dead frogs and they opened it up and it was full of kittens and all the girls screamed, ha ha, that was me. I'm like, oh Lord, I remembered the event, but not, not the boy he was. <laughs> he, he takes this scrawny little 15 year old by the neck and he's shaking him like a puppy. This is my son, Jonathan. You always told me that, you know, he said, do you know how many jobs I lost before I figured out you were right about showing up, being on time, doing my best work? Do you know how many jobs I lost? Jonathan's not going to make these mistakes. And he's just shaking this kid. If he starts screwing up like I did, me, I will fix him. I'm like, oh, God. And the, the... <laughs> I love it. It is. So So you briefly mentioned Star Mentor, and that's the book you got coming yes. out. Is that an extension to Astronomy for Educators? Or what, um, what can we find there? Sort of. Um, a very good friend of mine owns Explore Scientific, which is a telescope company. Uh, and <clears throat> he mentioned to me during the lockdown, we were talking on the phone, and he says, oh, you know, Dan, he said, uh, business has just exploded. Our, our Telescope business, every company is like 400% year over date. I'm like, wow. And he said, yeah, there's so many people out there who have new shiny telescopes and don't know what to do with them. And uh, he said, you know, we ought to have you write a book. And so he picks up the phone and he dials this guy and he says, here, talk to my friend. He's the head of uh, the Sir Patrick Moore astronomy series at Springer. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And so the guy said, send in a... Uh, a proposal I did, and then this was in October. Back in next March, 
my friend says, uh, who has the telescope company, he said, well, how'd that go? I said, oh, I haven't heard from them. It's fine. You know, you send in stuff, it disappears. And he says, oh, maybe something will happen. That day, that afternoon, I got an email. So we obviously called and rattled somebody's cage. And so we sent this in, and basically the idea is Star Mentor. And a telescope is a, is a party in a box. Chris, tell me if this is true. You take your telescope out, you set it up somewhere, parking lot, sidewalk, and immediately have friends coming up to you out of the dark you never knew. And they're coming up. Oh, anyone who knows you have one. Oh yeah. Or, or anything. You just said oh. they know. Hey, hey, are you are you taking the telescope out to the backyard? Or for me, it's hey, are, are you bringing it out to the football field? Oh, I wasn't planning right. on it. Oh, well, well, can you? Right. Exactly. It's a party in a box, and when you set it up, you can go set it up in, in you know uh, a parking lot of a grocery store that's closed at eight o'clock at night. And people will pull in off the street and go, oh, dude, is that a telescope? Is that the moon? Can I have a go? And you know they will. And they immediately see you, Chris, as the man with the telescope. You are the man who knows. They assume you know stuff. They want to know. <laughs> they are wrong. <laughs> well, yes, but the thing is, they look at you. You're the person who owns the instrument. You must know. They had a terrible experience Absolutely. in school. They always wanted to learn things. They still want to. They don't know how. They see somebody who has a scientific instrument. He must know. Let's go ask. And so Star Mentor is designed it's for two absolutely. audiences. One is a person like you, Chris, who has a telescope, and people come up and want you to show them and teach them things. So it's 50 projects you can do with other noob astronomers who are coming up who are a little less raw than and rookie-ish than you are and it's things you can do with them learn together and it's not about point a telescope and show me the moon it's about create an astronomer it's about bring someone into the hobby it's about give them a mark that lasts for a lifetime right it's, it's what my what my what father Bissett did for me what i did for that boy in my astronomy class and it takes you through one exercise at a time. Oh, would you teach me some tough with your telescope, Chris? Oh yeah, okay, I got this star mentor book. Let's uh, let's try. Let's start with activity one here. The other audience. Well, I know I'm getting the book. I, I know I know right away. I, I mean, I, will, I I know a bit. I'm I'm I mean, obviously I'm got. I know I'm getting this book. I'm going to I'm going to send you and Vito an advanced copy of the manuscript to review. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, thank, thank you so you. much. Oh, well, you that's it. I'm I'm buying a telescope tonight. So uh, <laughs> and contact me before you put your cash down, Vito, because I have friends in low places, and uh, I can at least steer you right and make sure you get a good piece of equipment. So the second the second person is cash the guy or gal who's bought a telescope. And then they get it and they unbox it and they do like you did, Chris. I need, am I, am I using this right? And they're going to social media, right? And they're looking for YouTube videos and they go, okay, I think it's put together. I can see the moon. Now what do I do with it? And this book takes you through an entire year. It takes you through learning the constellations, learning about how to see the planets, how to see the moon, different things to look at, galaxies, clusters, uh, all sorts of, and it, it just takes you through exercise. And it's kind of like a smorgasbord. I've written it in a logical order, but it's kind of a smorgasbord that you can dip into and you can say, ooh, shiny, this looks fun. Let's go, let's go try this tonight. 
and uh, it, it gives you a little a few tips on equipment, but mostly it's a uh, let's do some fun things with your new telescope and learn to be an active investigative astronomer, someone who loves the sky, loves the hobby. Let's let's set the hook hard, like a salmon in the stream. Let's set the hook. You're not getting away. You're going to be, you know, sending me an email 20 years later. Oh, Doc, I'm, I'm still in love with the sky. Like that one I got from that. He's not a young man now. He's in his 30s, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, he's got a family. He's a, he's a career cop. And he's writing to his old teacher 15 years later saying, Ooh, ooh, do you remember when you loaned me this thing? And it, my life is different now. And it's been different ever since because of what you did. And so this is a chance for you, Chris, to be that guy for somebody else. Yeah. And what I what I really think is 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 interesting about this upcoming book, Star Mentor, too, is, you know, for me, when I went from more of a, a beginner telescope um, to something more that I have now that's kind of like intermediate and kind of pushing up there, there were some things that as someone who had used a telescope that I knew what to do, but there was still a lot of stuff that I, you know, oh, yes. you're looking around and trying to find out, okay, what's this, what's that, yes. what's this, okay, how do I do this? So I really like that type of a, that type of a book too, where it's like, it meets you where you're at, whether it's low, 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 yes. or whether it's kind of pushing already. That's, that to me um, is, is really, again, good pedagogy. Yes. Uh, the oh, book just, really just assumes it. that you have desire, but not knowledge. I love that. <laughs> that's like, like, and, and, and that's what we try to instigate in students, do we not? Like, get them excited to be in class, get them excited to learn, and then let them explore. So, like, there's so much you've tackled. In your opinion, if you had to summarize, what should educators be unapologetic about in their practice? Um, educators should be unapologetic about challenging students to discover and not handing out answers. Uh, some of the maddest that I've ever made students and well, then I've refused to give them an answer. So you should go, okay, uh, we're going to learn about my astronomy for educators. Young teachers have spent a month learning about the moon and lunar phases. That's something I said, how many of you would have gone through this in like one or two class days and you learn some vocabulary, you watch a video, answer a worksheet question or two, and you're done. They all raised their hand. I said, and what do you know now? And we got almost no knowledge out of them. When we said, tell me everything you know about the moon. Uh, it orbits the earth. Um, there are phases. Can you name any of them? Full moon? Uh, no. Well, okay. Well, what do you see if you look at it closely? Um, it's round like a plate or like a ball. Um, a ball? How do you know? Um, and so, this, although they've had this, there, there's some knowledge that they actually own in terms of, I own it, I can apply it, I can use it to answer questions and think about things. There's some total of takeaway was almost zero. It left, their teaching they had about the moon left no mark. Right? It's like, it's like a, yep. a polar bear walking over a snowfield. It's like, it leaves no mark. You can't see it, it leaves no mark. And I said, that's terrible. And we've taken a week, and I'm like, okay, how many of you own the moon now? They all raise their hand. Yay. How many of you can do this with third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders? Yay. How many of you think your kids would have way more fun with this than a worksheet and a video? Yay. And I'm like, there you go. Be a rebel. 
Teach it this way. Vito. Chris, I, like. I got I to gotta say, you know, and this has been, uh, this has been an absolute treat for, for me and I know for you too, Vito. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at our clock here and uh, you know what time it is, Vito. I'm so sad it's that time. I'm sad it's, it's that time time. too. Well, it's time for the Paulson points. It's the Paulson points. Coming back in a few months and doing it again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, you better believe it. Uh, yeah, no, this is, is this is a yes. It's Paulson point number one. And, and and the doctor was in the house. If no one's done it before and you have passion, guess what? Do it. Paulson yeah. point number two. My friends, it, it close the book for a second. Explore, discover, challenge. Pulse and point number three of the night. And this is like, I have, uh, I just wrote a book tonight, ladies and gentlemen, l- listeners. I have written a book, um, but I have to stick to five. Number three, experience first, then give the info to express the knowledge. I love yeah. that. No matter what discipline you're teaching. Number four, yes. pulse and point number four, listening and trust can change a life forever. Listening and trust can change a life forever. Pulse in point number five, don't worry about being ordinary. Be extraordinary, educators. But you know I can't stop it there. You know no, I can't, can't stop no, it there. No, you can't. Because we I got the big vibes. Actually, there were no big vibes tonight. There were only huge, massive vibes. Huge vibe number one, good teaching leaves a mark. Good teaching leaves a mark. And to marry that, you may never know the smallest fraction of the good that you do in your teaching when you really care, when you really go there, when you really put your passions in, when you do it. But you're making a lot of amazing good things happening. And and huge vibe, our final huge vibe for the night. Don't give them a worksheet. Give them the moon. Give them the moon and Saturn, and Jupiter, and Mars, and everything in that sky, and educators out there, be unapologetic about challenging your students to discover and not just handing out the answers. Dr. Daniel Barth, it it was an absolute treat to have you on the show. You are coming back on very soon, sir, because this was a treat (laughs) for Vito and I. Be thrilled. Chris and I have been salivating. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. The Unapologist Podcast.